Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Audit Podcast. Today on the show, we have Tim Leach, and we're talking about the exposure draft of the IA standards. Uh, for those that don't know Tim, he is the founder and managing director at Risk Oversight Solutions, where his focus is promoting the business case for and helping organizations implement strong management-driven objective-centric risk and certainty management. In December 2019, former IIA CEO and President Richard Chambers named Tim to his list of top 10 internal audit and risk thought leaders of the decade globally. So you know how, for those that have been listening to the show, we've been hitting the 2022 12 thought leaders that Richard Chambers named from that year. In 2019, Tim was recognized as one of the top 10 internal audit and risk thought leaders of the decade globally for some perspective on uh, Tim's expertise. All right, from 1991 to 2004, he was the founder and CEO of Card Decisions. He launched Card Map, the world's first integrated risk and assurance software in 97, and took it to the cloud and offered their software as a service in 2000. That is incredibly impressive to me. Uh, Tim sold Card Decisions, the leading GRC software vendor in 2004, where he then served as the chief methodology officer for three years. Since that time, he's focused on building his second generation of disruptive innovation to help organizations transition from traditional strategy, risk, and assurance methods to strong management-driven, objective-centric risk and certainty management. For those that are familiar with Tim's work, by the way, highly recommend following him on LinkedIn to get a different perspective uh, than what you might be used to hearing. But again, those familiar with Tim's work know that he's not afraid to speak out against the norm. And that's why we wanted to have him on the show to discuss the exposure draft. This isn't a, you know, if you're familiar with mainstream media or ESPN even, and they pin people against each other and they argue against each other and take different sides and you watch it and you shake your fist and you get really mad. And then the next day you tune back in. That's not really what this is about. It's simply just to get an opposing view. Some of the things that we talk about is why is this exposure draft even a big deal? If you're on LinkedIn, I'm sure you're familiar with it. A lot of folks have been talking about it over the past couple of weeks. And so we simply ask, all right, why should we care? Why is it a big deal? We often talk about the one thing on this show. What's the one thing that you hope they get right? And then with someone like Tim, who respectfully has been around for a long time in the profession, we basically just go, all right, Tim, just go, like, just talk. You have the stage, just talk, we'll listen. With that said, here we go. So we are talking about um, the proposed standards or the proposed update to the IAA standards. And it's, it's especially if, depending on like who you follow and how you keep up with the profession, it's been pretty much everywhere. <laughs> Every outlet that I've seen, it's been in, uh, all over LinkedIn, various uh, audit groups that I'm in as well. Um, but Tim, the question I wanted to kind of lead off with is why should we care? Why is this, why is this a big deal? Why is it all over the place? Why are we seeing it in, in all the, uh, I'll just call it media type outlets? Well, I think it's a very important question. Um, 
the standards have always been somewhat controversial. The early day shops that, that Gulf Canada, where I started, uh, the general auditor was not a fan of the IIA. He, in fact, forbid us from joining the local chapter. Um, the logic that he used back in, this would have been 1981, was that his view was the IIA was, and these are his words, a feel-good shop, which meant that people got together and, and would build up the belief that if you, you're following the mantra of the IIA, that was like a religion that was a, a good thing, which, you know, to the extent you're a religious person, I, it, it, it has advantages of camaraderie and shared views and so on. The problem is, is it doesn't encourage non-shared views in many cases. And if you believe that progress in professions occurs from controversy and people challenging status quo with ideas on how it can be done far better, then the standards become almost like an anchor because they, in the IIA's case, the standards, they've been working on this update for a full year. It will take another two years. So three years in total to modify the, the mantra that, that people that are members work to. Three years in a world that we live in is an incredibly long time to decide to tell out of 180,000 members how they ought to do their business to best satisfy their customer needs. So one has to question whether the whole structure of standard setting. Um, the other side of it is, is this time for the first time ever, the IOE has claimed to they increase the emphasis on on the public good, um, public interest is the words I think they use. I don't think prior standards have had a lot of input from boards, from regulators. They've been more insular. They're created, in many cases, they're created by a committee that's drawn from all of the national and the local chapters. Um, I believe they have lacked customer-centric input, and certainly the customer-centric input has not been obvious. You don't see it on the representation of the committees that are bringing the new standards for, forward. Uh, they claim this time that they have consulted widely. I don't believe the IIA has consulted any of us that we sort of see ourselves as contrarians that, that are pushing for major changes to the paradigm. I don't believe the IIA committee that is updating the standards has, has consulted with any of the people that don't share the IIA's primary beliefs. So um, that's not, you know, it, it is, is it, are, are we, are people like myself and Norman Marks and and Bruce McQuaig and, and others out there, Todd Davies in Australia and other people that have big internal audit followings. Are, are we offended? Well, no, we're not especially offended. The IIA has never sought. In my 40 years in the profession, I have never been called by the IIA once and said, Tim, we'd like to talk to you. We just read your thoughts on X, Y, Z. 
Uh, we'd like to understand better the points you're making about what, what internal auditors should be doing differently. Never happened. It, it has just not been part of the IIA culture to, to think about that. So to your original question, yes, though, they are important because they shape the training that every sure, you know, certified internal auditor is going to be put through. They shape the training that universities, they're grooming people. So, so basically these standards shape the religion that is called internal audit and that religion, the Bible will be changed on a frequency of maybe once a decade. And it will take up to three years to actually, from the time we start thinking about, do we need different things to it actually being required as, as, as a, a standard. So once a decade update, three years start to finish process to update. And, and that is what's happening. So, uh, my, my first point about the standards is yes, they are hugely important. B the, the process is incredibly out of sync with today's needs. And three, the standard, the people that are charged with offering those standards have not truly embraced customers or, or those with alternate ideas about what big things need to be done differently. So all of those things, you know, give me a cause for a lot of distress. In my, my daughter was a chief internal auditor. She won't go near the profession right now. Uh, I mean, her, she gets called every day by headhunters. She, she was the chief risk officer. She was the chief audit executive. Almost all the calls she's getting are for audit positions that are going to have a heavy emphasis on Sarbanes-Oxley. The Canadian equivalent is called National Instrument 52109. She doesn't want anything to do with that kind of so the standards of the profession have resulted in the profession driving towards right back to where I left external auditing in 1981, have the emphasis on testing of financial controls. And I, I didn't want any part of it in 1981. My daughter doesn't want any part of it in 2023. Um, so the standards have, have seeing the profession evolves to that. And so I think, you know, the IIA needs to do some deep, deep soul searching. My own personal belief is the standards are going to drive the profession's demise. Uh, in the absence of major changes in the way the IIA thinks about the standards, um, thinks about the purpose of internal auditing, teaches internal auditing, my post that I think you're going to ask me about later that I issued on Wednesday, he uses the analogy of Kodak, Blackberry, Blockbuster Video. I am incredibly concerned that the IIA is anchored in an old paradigm and the people that need to drive change can't. They just like the board of Kodak and like the board of Blackberry. They just can't let go of the old direct report paradigm where auditors go out and audit something 
and write a report indicating what internal audit thinks is wrong or deficient or material weak or significantly deficient or audit findings or whatever you want to call them. So I, I am incredibly uh, concerned about the future of the profession. Um, I'm concerned that the IIA isn't interested in people that have alternative ideas about the direction the IIA should go in. I'll give them credit. They still allow my contrarian posts on their IIA official site. Um, I have approached the, the leadership of the IIA on multiple occasions and offered to sit down and discuss all, all my views, uh, recognizing that, that the world, the world is a richer place when people entertain alternative views yeah. to you. And I respect everybody's right to have their own views, but I am concerned if I don't think they're open to alternative views in any serious way. Yeah. And I see this in just like talking to you, knowing you, reading um, your posts and newsletters, that this isn't, you're not a, let me attack so that I get more clicks and views and I have this contrarian view and uh, there's an audience for that. I, I wrote in my notes as you were talking the word concerned and then I underlined it a couple times because you mentioned it a couple times. And so like your perspective isn't that like shock and awe, let me draw attention to myself. It is, it, and I very much believe it, a, a core concern that you have for the profession. And I think that's where your perspective comes from. And so I think that's important for, for people to know, especially those that aren't familiar with you, um, and your concerns. Um, so I just want, I did want to throw that out there. And the other thing, uh, I want to jump into the next question. If you, if you've read through, um, all the proposed changes, uh, if you've read the whole thing, probably took you a while. Uh, everyone has a lot going on. And so I would expect that most have not done that. And so my question to you is, what is the, what's the one thing that we should almost focus on? Or what's the one thing that you hope that they get right in making these changes? All right. So first, I think it's important for, for people listening to realize the exposure draft was issued on the 1st of March. Now, all of the execs and all of the national local chapters have seen it quite a long time ago. It, 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 the exposure draft to them has been open for quite a while. Um, and so the process of translating into multiple languages, uh, if you think about today being the 10th of March, so it's been 10 days that the public exposure draft um, I commented on an early sort of uh, hinting at what it was going to look like last fall. Uh, I was not keen on the direction of the purpose statement then, and I fed back immediately. This is before they finalized it. It was out two national and local chapters for feedback. Uh, I provided feedback to Michael Pepper, who's the chair of the International Internal Audit Standard Board then. Uh, the point, though, about you've made is an important one. I fear many internal auditors that are members won't care enough to read this document. Um, so when I provide 
feedback. And when Norman Larks, Norman Larks, as you mentioned earlier in our chat, has published an 11-page feedback, which is a very granular, where he is raising issues and concerns at the granular level, Re recognizing this document is 107 pages. Right. So you're right. Now, I think, though, it's important to reflect, why do so many chief internal auditors not think it's important to read these? Well, I think part of it is, is they don't follow them. That they follow what they think they need to to survive in their job and 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 to stay in the good books of whoever it is they happen to report to, which might be a chief financial officer, it might be a general counsel, or or whoever the reporting line happens to be. The other side of it is is boards. If you believe the primary customer of control audit is the board of directors and specifically the committee that is charged with overseeing internal audit, which is statistically the internal audit, the audit committee. So we have audit committees populated largely with retired financial external audit partners and, and CFOs that were but predominantly auditors by training and accountants. Um, those people are being told now that they have to oversee enterprise risk. And there is a huge crossover between what internal audit should be doing and, and what enterprise risk should be doing. Both should be focused on assessing the likelihood the company will achieve its objectives. I don't think that's sunk in yet, that that should be a shared responsibility between the two functions. If you read the IIA 2023 Lance model, you will see that management and the second line are considered in the same block. They should be assessing the likelihood that objectives will be achieved. And IIA's role is defined as the third line should be all about all things related to achievement of objectives. None of that comes through in these standards. So there is a huge disjoint between the IIA three lines model issued in 2020. It's as if the authors of them came from different planets. So, you know, one of the things in my comment uh, a week ago was, wait a minute, if the IIA three lines model is right, how can these standards be right? It, they're not talking about helping the company achieve its most important objectives. That's not coming through at all. It's not coming through in the purpose statement, and it's certainly not coming through in the other hundred pages of granular things, which are based on what I call legacy auditing paradigms. So, uh, if we look at all of that, um, Remind me again, there was, a, I got off on a bit of a tangent there, but in your question, and I missed what, what your fundamental question was. What's the one thing that you hope they get right? Okay, the one thing that I hope that they get right is the purpose statement. Unequivocally, I, I, am, and I am strongly against the current purpose statement. Norman doesn't like the current purpose statement. Um, and let I, me, let me, pause for a second to read that um, for those that likely don't have it in front of them. So currently it is, the purpose statement is internal auditing enhances the organization's success by providing the board and management with objective assurance and advice. 
And then Tim, if you'll let me, I know in your post, which we have linked in the show notes, I'll read the one that, um, that you put together. Uh, so yours meet CEO and board defined ERM slash internal audit imperatives to help the entity better achieve top strategic value creation, preservation objectives with a level of risk slash certainty acceptable to the CEO slash board. Okay. So what you've just read was my shot at it last week. I, I, I dated the purpose statement, uh, in yesterday's post, it, it's aligned, but it reads ensure CEO and the board receive timely, uh, reliable risk status updates and advice on a read mission, critical objectives slash risks to drive better decisions, semicolon, help the entity achieve key objectives with acceptable risk certainty semicolon, and help officers, directors meet escalating fiduciary duty of care and stakeholder expectations. So that was my improvement on my first go round. Um, I believe, uh, and of course my post goes into this, in his time internal audit became customer centric. It, it's time internal audit became customer demand driven which means as long as the profession doesn't look like its purpose really supports the primary needs of its customers. And it's not obvious right in the purpose statement. I mean, their purpose statement, it does talk about in their purpose statement of providing them with objective assurance and advice, but it doesn't say on what, and it doesn't say why their customers need that. So, the reason I've chosen mission critical objectives slash risks as the scope of internal audit is that's what boards are legally accountable for in the United States and increasingly around the world. Now, is there a reason why the IIA doesn't want to be customer demand centric? Well, sadly, one of the problems is, is customers haven't much cared what internal audit does. So when, a, you know, I've worked around the world, literally with hundreds of boards, the number of audit charters I read that look like they were driven by a clear articulation of what the board and the CEO needs is minuscule. Yeah. Those charters are, are manifestations of IIA standard rhetoric, which is supply grid. They're going to provide objective assurance and advice on what internal audit wants to and thinks they're allowed to provide it on. It, it isn't as a result of agreeing specifically. If we believe the risk is the effect of a cert uncertainty on objectives, which is the ISO definition, COSO is similar. Why is the IIA reluctant to get customers to articulate which objectives they want objective independent advice and assurance on? It's because the customers haven't cared. Yeah. In a, the, the IIA does not want to push that. Now, in fairness, embedded deep within the 107 pages, there are sections that say you should get the board to agree internal audits charter. It doesn't say you should get the board to agree which objectives they need and want information on. There's a distinction there. 
So the IRA is straddling the notion, let's whip up a charter that looks like it sounds to be in compliance with the standards. Many times the board rubber stamps that, says IIA, and then they mimic the IIA's purpose of internal auditing in the charter. Then they mimic the kinds of things that are in the in the IIA standards as the, the guts of, of the of the charter. And then the I, the board says, yes, we've approved, we we will approve that. You've assured us that this is compliant with what the IIA says an auto department should do. That's what we have as met as charters around the world. They are not defined by the board and the CEO taking some time and consciously saying, if we're going to spend a million dollars on an internal audit function, if we're going to spend $10 million, I am clients, the audit functions were $50 million. Uh -huh. If we're going to spend that money, what outcomes can we want as a result of their existence? I don't know why the IIA is afraid of, of mandating that as part of the standards, requiring customers articulate what they want from internal audit. I suspect it's because they're afraid that the boards will say, we don't have time for this. Just give us the usual stuff. Yeah. Then we could say we have an audit department that complies with IIA standards. You will bring us the 20 or the 50 or the 100 internal audit reports and a summary of such once a year. We'll ask you some questions and then we're done with that. Yeah. So as long as you tolerate that attitude towards the reason for existence and that attitude says your primary reason for existence is to say we have an audit department that complies with IIA standards. It isn't about generating business value. It's not even really about meeting what boards most need. It's about being able to say they have a status quo traditional audit function. Well, I don't know about you, when I wasn't keen being uh, a tokenism and my daughter who was a chief audit executive was not keen and she surely was not keen on becoming part of the Sarbanes-Oxley management responsibility to complete risk assessments on reliable financial disclosures. We've mentioned Norman a couple times and his 11 pages. Um, it, this kind of ties back to my question of what's the one thing and so Norman has three and we'll link to, uh, Norman's post as well. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of, as we wrap up, read the three major issues that Norman had, and then just kind of get your thoughts. If you want to pick one that would be, uh, you know, of those three, this is the one for me, uh, and expound on that. That would be great. Uh, but I'll, I'll really just kind of let you have the stage, but, um, so Norman states there are two major overarching issues, one being, and I'm quoting, activities, especially documentation, are mandated that are not necessary. The second one being, there is excessive emphasis on compliance with the standards and insufficient attention to ensuring the quality internal audit services that add the value our stakeholders need. So those are the two overarching issues. And then the third issue uh, that Norman points to is the draft fails to promote enterprise risk-based auditing instead it promotes auditing risks to audible entities. So as a, a way to sort of 
wrap the show up. What are your, do you have general thoughts around that? Is there one in particular that sticks out to you? What do you think? Well, I, I follow Armin's work very closely. I respect, uh, the general direction he's been encouraging audit departments. What I found strange about his feedback was that if you go and read hundreds of pages of Norman's stuff over the last two or three years, he talks about the central theme is internal auditors need to focus on helping their companies uh, increase the likelihood of success. And he defines the likelihood of success achieving important objectives. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure his central theme of, of what he has promoted is coming through in, in, in his feedback to the IIA. You can read through it. He, he's saying it's, it's too much compliance centric, too much emphasis on minutia, like documentation standards and things that are really not core. Yeah. They're, they're, they're certainly not the things that we want to send to the public to rebrand and turn on it. So he gets, I believe if you read through his comments, he is back to his idea that auditors should be helping their company achieve, you know, focus on the likelihood of success or stated another way, he believes that an audit should be helping to provide information to management on the uncertainty you will achieve your most important objectives. It's another way of saying likelihood. Um, so I, I think in, in my own mind, I, I agree with what a lot of what Norman says in his 11 pages. I'm not as convinced that Norman has gone to the guts of what's really wrong with the draft. Um, that's my own personal opinion. I have chosen to say almost nothing about the rest of the hundred pages. I have focused on get the purpose right. Until yeah. you get the purpose right, I don't think it's even worth my time to comment on the rest of it because the rest of it is all driven by the purpose statement. So the purpose statement in my mind is the foundation of everything else. So I'm not going to waste my time writing about 90 pages about standards that, that notionally at least should be focused on supporting the purpose. So if the purpose is wrong, my belief is the rest of it certainly will be misaligned and or not well designed. So you get the purpose statement right and the rest follows. So what I did go into the trouble of completing the entire IIA survey, which is a painful process that I suspect few will want to do. It's, it's long and tedious and wants to know, but you see, if you accept my belief that the purpose is wrong, there's no point in talking about documentation standards and all of the other elements in the, in the absence of getting the purpose right. It's a waste of my time to comment on what I think about the other 90 pages that are there. So I tried to convince the IIA last fall the purpose statement was going to go down badly. I think others had to go at it. The committee that's charged with this, uh, I 
they never responded to any of us that had concerns with the draft statement that I'm aware of. They probably have dismissed all of those that didn't like the draft purpose statement as radical fringe, yeah, unrelated to the the true needs of the future of the profession. They may well stay that course. They, they have indicated that they are refusing to publish any of the comments for public consumption on the exposure draft. That tells me they don't want the membership to know what contrarians are saying in fear that the membership may side with them. So as long as the IAA wants to hide all of the comments, A, that discourages people from commenting if they're going to be kept a secret. Um, I'm not convinced that when they publish the final ones, they will give fair and equal treatment to contrarian views and that they will explain in detail why they chose what they chose. I would love to be proven wrong on all of these things. Yeah. But if the IIA is not willing to, it said it wanted to serve the public interest, it's indicated they will not publish any of the comments. Now, they may decide to emphasize comments that are positive and laudatory, but you know, I've been told, and, and again, I would love to be wrong. If the IIA is going to publish all of the comments, including mine and Norman's and Todd Davies and all of those around the world that are already wading in with comments on them, that would be lovely, but I've been told they won't. I am increasingly fearful that they won't because they're afraid of exposing other views than what they have proposed. That scares me even more because it, it indicates that they're not confident that, that what they propose that will drive the profession for the next decade will drive all of the training for certified internal auditors and the universities that teach internal. I am hugely afraid that they're worried about exposing contrarian views to their standards. Huh. So I, I, you started with, I am absolutely, I've made my money in life. I'm, I'm okay financially. This is about, I have a pure passion to do what's right for the world. And what's right for the world is that boards and CEOs need far better information on, if we use Norman's words, the likelihood of achieving important objectives. If he used my words, the risk certainty of achieving mission critical value creation and value preservation objectives. Those are, I think we share the same view. We've chosen different words, but uh, I think we are aligned. This needs to be, and I go back. If the IIA does not believe the role of internal audit should be the one in three lines model, they should withdraw it because it's incredibly confusing. To see the primary role definition in the 2023 lines model for what internal audit should focus on, and then read standards where you can't see that and connect much at all. It, it is if it's there, it's incredibly muted. Yeah. So, you know, my my post comment said, "What happened in the purpose statement to talking about internal audit should be all about achievement of objectives?" That's what the three lightest model says role should be. All of a sudden it's gone. 
I can only conclude those words are gone because the IIA is trying to defend legacy methods, which have not been about achievement of objectives. They've been about control compliance, control testing. They've been about what's called risk-based auditing, which is plucking risks out and then building auditor plans around risks, not achievement of objectives, risks. If you take one risk in your house, and you build an audit plan around the risk, but not the key things you need to achieve as a family, you are going to have a bad result. So get, get the methodology right. The COSO ERM framework says it should be all about strategic value creation and value preservation objectives. The 2023 lines model says it should be all about achievement of objectives. The standards have now, wherever they tucked it in, it's not clear, but it's sure not dominant. So in my mind, what we now have is huge confusion. What is the role of internal audit? Well, I've said objective assurance of advice on anything or nothing. That's where you're left with right now. It, it, the, the, the draft purpose statement says objective assurance and advice doesn't say on what. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't say what it needs to give it. And it doesn't say how it will satisfy what, what customers need. So it, it's a great concern to me. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm not hugely uh, uh, optimistic at this point. Having seen the reluctance of the IIA to consult a wider audience during the formulation stage, um, I'm very disturbed with their unwillingness to publish comments. You, you, you know, you read what Norman wrote. That was not a knock it off in 10 minute effort. It was a lot of work. Um, my feedback uh, takes the form of my posts, which I forward on to Michael Bapper, who's the chair. Um, I would like to see. Uh, people being encouraged to just write feedback on what they want, not fill out a gigantic survey, which is largely irrelevant if you disagree with purpose. So they should have started with, do, do you agree with purpose? And if the answer is no, don't bother filling out the rest of, of the survey. That would be a logical approach. All right, Tim, is there anything else that that we haven't covered that you want to make sure that we leave the audience with? Yeah, I think there is. And then it goes to something that, that isn't really, it's implied in my feedback, uh, to the, to the exposure draft, but it's, it's not directly. Uh, I believe that the traditional internal audit paradigm of auditors studying, analyzing something and they're writing out what the audit team believes is material weakness, significant deficiency, or, or worse yet, uses words like audit findings. It's not a real human interaction model. And I've written multiple posts on this. Uh, I believe that with generations uh, Z and X and today's upcoming uh, management, people are less and less happy about an interaction medium where somebody's going to come into your world, and I use the analogy, imagine you get a letter 
in the mail that says uh, you've been scheduled for an audit. We'll be there in three weeks. We're going to audit your parenting uh, practices. All right, how would you feel about that? And make no mistake, managers that run businesses are passionate about what they're doing, and they're often very proud of what they're doing. Just like parents are trying to do the right thing in most cases for their children. So then you, you, the people arrive and they spend a month analyzing your parenting practices, and then they write up a 10-page list of your deficiencies in your parenting skills. How do you feel about that? And then they send it to your mother-in-law and father-in-law and your parents because they're they're considered the oversight for. So I believe that the fundamental psychological dimension, I didn't stress it in my feedback to the IIA because I have been and am still a huge believer in a strong first-line risk management. The IIA apparently refuses to take any formal position Certainly the standards doesn't say that internal audit should, as one of its primary objectives, foster strong first line risk management. As long as this continues, I believe the profession is going to have uh, uh, a significantly less robust future than it could. So that was the piece that it doesn't come through in my comments on the exposure draft, but I believe passionately the IIA needs to get behind a purpose that includes building strong first-line risk management capability. Hey, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.